0: Hi, I'm Leah Potter. I'm Meredith Roten, and we are two news editors at the GW Hatchet. This is the Hatchet's weekly podcast from the second oldest newspaper in DC, covering the happenings around Foggy Bottom and GW's campus.
1: This week we're here with our senior news editor, Andrew Goudsward, to talk about yet another departure in the administration. How many departures this year has it been, Andrew?
2: So we've had five this year from student affairs for various reasons ranging from, uh, well, suspicious departures where um, administrators seem to be out in a pretty short order to administrators who've been there for a very long time and have either gotten other jobs or just decided that they want to move on to, to different phases of their lives.
1: This time it's Tim Miller who has been in the role of associate dean of students and what did he say about leaving and where is he going?
2: So he's leaving to become um, vice president for student affairs at James Madison University, where he was a a double alumnus. Um, So he described this as basically a dream job for him, um, that he's been wanting to go back to his alma mater for for several years. And um, this is kind of an ideal opportunity for him to go back there in a role where he's had a lot of experience here at GW working in student affairs. He said, you know, basically that when you get your dream job, you take it. And that's what he decided to do in this situation.
1: Yeah, and he's been here for so long that I'm sure he's seen a lot of, you know, successes in his time here and low points. So can you just start off with telling us a little bit about how he has made GW the school that it is today?
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, I think... He would tell you, I mean, his his role has mostly been focused on on students for the whole 16 years that he's been here. So he started as the assistant director of what was then the Student Activity Center, which was the precursor to what we have now, which is the Center for Student Engagement. Um, So his role has been really very much focused on student life and campus life for students uh, since he arrived. So he's, you know, looked after student organizations, residence hall life, um, Greek life, things. The, the student association where he was the advisor for most of his time here. And so that's really where his role has been been focused. And, and what he was saying, you know, he was trying to be very modest in his interview, where his, you know, his accomplishments are really the students' accomplishments. So helping whatever the student association was able to get accomplished during that period. So he helped expand um, the number of student organizations on campus from about one hundred when he arrived sixteen years ago to the more than four hundred that we have now. So his role, you know, his entire time has has just been really focused on student life and student government th- and things that you know are, are direct concerns of students on campus
1: and of course he's been a longtime advisor of the student association did he have anything to say about his time spent with that group of students that has such an impact on campus life
2: Yeah, for sure. You know, again, he was kind of saying that his accomplishments were really the students accomplishments and that it's not something that he's done. It's more that the students come to him and say, you know, hey, I have this idea for improving campus life. Can you help me get there? So he really prided himself on being the person who student leaders can come to when they're looking to start a bigger idea on campus, something that they want improved. Um, And so he didn't really name any specifics. But in terms of you know, the biggest accomplishments that the Student Association has made in the recent years, you have moving student health services to the Marvin Center, becoming the Colonial Health Center. Um, you have debuting the peer support hotline group last year. Um, and then you also have increasing representation on the Board of Trustees, um, allowing them to be more present during Board of Trustees meetings, more present on committees. So that's really what he would say is in terms of working with the Student Association is that it was him allowing them to get the agenda that student leaders wanted to get done.
1: And I know you said that a lot of these accomplishments that he's made over the years, he, he's credited to students, but aren't there some projects that he's really proud of?
2: Absolutely, yeah. I mean, the number one that comes to mind is the food pantry, the store. Um, he has been very vocal on this since it debuted in the fall of 2016, where he was talking about how he didn't even realize that that food insecurity was such a pressing issue for students. But then, you know, he was meeting with first-generation students when they were talking about how they had to, they slept in late because they wanted to miss a meal, like went to bed early because they wanted to miss a meal without having to pay for that extra money. Um, And then reading other news stories that national outlets have written about food insecurity on college campuses, it really hit home to him that this was an issue that students everywhere and including, especially at GW, facing. Um, And so they really made a big push to start this food pantry, um, which has become quite successful. They have several hundred users now, um, and it's something that that he really has taken a lot of personal pride in.
3: Uh, You know, the store was an interesting thing for me because when it first came to us from Max Gokala, who was a graduate student at the time, we didn't actually believe that this was really an issue. We didn't know. We'd never heard of this type of a thing before. And Max really never let it go, and Max pushed us really hard, and he was a senator uh, in the Student Association. And he didn't let this go, and he kept challenging us, and he kept putting articles in front of us. And when we read the Chronicle article about students choosing between books and um, food, it was really when it started to hit home. And then also, I was at one of the first Friday dinners for the first-generation students here on campus, and when they talked to us about how they... Sleep because they can't, they would go to bed early because they couldn't afford another meal, or would wake up late because they couldn't afford breakfast because they just knew they didn't have enough money to, to have three meals in a day. That was a student story that really resonated with me. And what we, I think what I'm really most happy about with that is that we learned a lot from other universities on how they were addressing this issue, and then we took all that learning and put it into what our effort decided, what we decided to do with our effort. But then We've continued to evolve and adapt, and we've now, we're have now we now, I think, at over 30 universities that have called on us to ask us for advice on how to do it. And there's a couple schools in the country that have things that are basically the exact same model as us, and that was really heartening to see that we hit on something in our way of running a food pantry, which is so different, is probably the thing that I think is best. The fact that we don't have someone staffing it that you have to check in with, and, and you can only take a certain number of items, and that we have faith, trust, and respect as our core values is really just very different than other places. And I'm not saying it's better. It's just a different model.
2: And so what he was talking about is that how, you know, even if in in the years to come, students don't recognize that he was personally involved in in some of these initiatives, um, that they're still improving their lives and improving their campus experience. And that's something that he said, you know, he's happy to leave behind here.
1: And this comes in the middle of a big push to improve student the student experience as University President Thomas LeBlanc has made that one of his priorities. Did he say anything about how this might affect that goal and that kind of vision that the president has?
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, he didn't want to really get into too many specifics about that. Because you know this is going to be an effort that's going to be going on long after you know he's gone. But he was just talking about how you know important and how impressed he was seeing President LeBlanc this year focused on this as such a priority, um, and how you know every time that a new president comes in, they see the university with with fresh eyes, and this is one of the things that he's really focused on. And so he mentioned um, you know in particular this new office of enrollment and the student experience which is going to be coming this summer and how that's going to be a big avenue for students you know throughout their experience here at GW to have that kind of support and you know and he said they didn't really want to get into specifics because that's going to be such a you know an all-encompassing office um, in terms of giving students support and so that was an effort you know that he was pleased to see.
1: Through any career there's going to be some points that aren't as successful as others did he mention anything specifically that he wished he could have done better?
2: he didn't mention anything specifically although you know he has faced criticism here Particularly last year, during after the the JEC hearing um, and the, the student association election, when uh, when one candidate and his team uh, accused another of stalking and harassment, and there was a you know a huge hearing um, and a lot of the students involved in that felt like their privacy was was not protected, and they felt that they were given a you know less than supportive environment in that hearing and in terms from administrators overall. Um, the other thing that has been kind of a focal point the last several years has been the treatment of Greek life on campus. A lot of Greek leaders have talked about a very aggressive stance from the university in the last few years in terms of investigations, in terms of willingness to shut down chapters, um, working with national organizations. Um, And so while he didn't mention those things in particular, he did talk about how he has become, you know, all these, he's made mistakes during his time here um, and that, you know, he takes these as as learning experiences and, you know, that students really need to understand that administrators aren't you know, perfect people. They also make mistakes. They also you know, do things that, that let down some students. And you know, he wanted to send a message that, you know, that that's okay and that he has learned from these different kinds of experiences.
1: Thanks for letting us know about uh, Tim Miller's career. And we'll definitely be keeping an eye on who's next in the Student Affairs Office. Yeah, thank you for having me. Meredith has a story this week about recent changes to Admitted Students Day. Last week, the university announced that they would be changing the Admitted Students Days, which they call Inside GW Days, and those go on for the entire month of April, and they're saying now that instead of having five sessions, which is what they did last year, they're actually going to be having more sessions with fewer students, uh, so that it can be a more personalized experience. And they're saying that this will help students become more familiar with GW, and give the students actually what they wanted, because they said that last year students said that they wanted a more focus on academics and also a more personalized experience.
0: What other changes are they going to be making besides making it smaller sessions?
1: Yeah, like I said, there's going to be a heavier focus on academics. There's going to be connecting with current students in the program. As soon as students get there, there'll be some opening programs and then they'll be split off into which school they're going to be entering in. And then they get to hear more about those academic programs and talk to current faculty and current students, as well as they're going to actually learn more about academic things like registration, advising, uh, those sorts of supports for academics. there will actually be more programming surrounding support services for students like the Center for Career Services and the Multicultural Student Center and things like that that will be able to help students out when they're on campus next year. And are
0: these changes purely based off of student wants, or is this also like coming from the administration, what they've observed?
1: In the release, the Dean of Admissions, Costas Salomo, said that these changes were from students, that they had gotten feedback from admitted students last year, and they said this was the kind of focus they wanted. Uh, As far as things other than academics, uh, it wasn't really clear in the release if that is from students as well would a move like this encourage more
0: students to ultimately attend GW after going to these sessions?
1: So I spoke with expert Mark Montgomery who is a consultant for Great College Advice. He does uh, college admissions consulting work and he told me that this is definitely something that larger universities will try to do in their kind of admitted students programs. He said it's very hard for large universities sometimes to compete with small liberal arts colleges in that they have a more intimate feeling to their campus and all the students know each other and all the students know the faculty, but it's harder to get that same feeling when you visit a large campus. He also talked about some of the kind of downsides of this
3: approach. The, the university has to be careful is if it's all smoke and mirrors and, and marketing messages, Yeah, you, you, you will have a big problem if you don't actually live up to it.
0: What is the motivation behind increasing the yield of students coming in? Have admissions numbers been lower than usual or compared to any peer schools? Is there any particular reason that now they're deciding to do this?
1: Well, obviously, the university said that this is coming from students who said that they wanted something like this in a more personalized approach. But also, in the past, the university has been admitting more students each year in hopes of potentially getting that yield rate up. But they've also had a greater focus on retention and graduation rates as well. In 2016, they hired a specialist to come into a new role that didn't exist before and they've also been trying to increase the focus on enrollment and retention with a new office that they've created that will start this summer the office of enrollment and the student experience will replace the division of student affairs and that is supposed to be more focused on a student's experience from when they get accepted into GW till they graduate thanks meredith
4: this week, the Hatchet put out its Best Northwest guide, which features readers and editors' choices of the best things around Northwest D.C.
5: Best in Northwest is an annual guide where we put out voting to readers so they can vote for their favorite food places, um, people on campus, and other categories like that. Then we write about all of our editors' picks for those categories.
4: So Liz, we chose a Best Unique Tour, and you have had experience on one of these. So could you tell us about it?
5: Yes, yeah, so the editor's pick was DC by Foot's Ghost Tours, um, and that's something that our video editor, Ariana, wrote about because she had been on the tour. Spooky. Moving on to Best Campus Dogs. So this one featured um, – some of the dogs featured were part of the faculty and residence program, so they live in the dorms on campus, and then others were dogs that are owned by students.
4: We, we picked um, a beautiful West Hall Labradoodle named Lola. On her Facebook profile, it says she is a self-described feminist. She lives with um, Mark Rolkowski, an associate professor of philosophy. And she also won for a Reader's Choice. Okay, well, we're doing a rapid-fire round now. Liz, what's your favorite hangover brunch?
5: Mm, tonic, because it's close to campus. Definitely. Matt, um, best building playlist?
4: Uh, gotta be district. I mean, yeah, it's that SZA playing, I always get my life eating my wise guys. But um, what about best dessert? Mm, ice cream jubilee. I would say that too. What do you think about best coffee, Liz? Compass. Yeah, I agree. And the sure. staff is always so nice. Best classy bar. I'll probably go with Barcelona. Um, and Liz, I'm sure you have a very close to your heart option for this one, but what's your best near campus late night food?
5: Mm, definitely Surfside. Best concert venue?
4: I mean, I... I really do like 930 and think the stuff they're doing in the next couple months is going to be really fun. I'm going to be there a lot.
5: Exciting.
4: Well, that's all we have, but you can check out the rest of the Best of Northwest winners online or in our print edition.
0: I'm here with our contributing sports editor, Barbara Alberts, who's here to tell us about a baseball player with a hidden musical talent. Thanks for coming back, Barbara. Yeah, it's great to be here again. How did you learn that this baseball player had this type of talent?
6: Earlier this spring, Matt Cullen, our sports editor, was down at baseball field doing interviews for a season preview for the baseball team and over the speakers instead of like the normal kind of like pump up music that they're playing before practice it was just this like beautiful piano music, and Matt didn't even have to ask like the head coach, Greg Ritchie. He just kind of came up to Matt and he was like, you want to know about the music? It's uh, Sam Martin. He wrote it and composed it. How does Sam describe his music? So Sam's music kind of falls into uh, contemporary piano music that's pretty influenced by classical, which you can hear in his song, A World Unknown. Uh, He considers it to be falling into the soundtrack genre.
0: So something you might hear like playing with a movie or a TV show or...
6: Yeah, something like that. How did he get into writing music? So Sam is actually a self-taught piano player. He took a few lessons when he was younger and actually decided that it was boring, so never really picked it up again. Um, But when he was 12, his friend played... Super Mario Brothers theme song on the piano and he decided that'd be a really cool little trick to have so he actually went onto YouTube and just watched people play piano and he realized that he could teach himself so he started off playing pretty simple melodies kind of learning how to do one hand stuff and then the other and then after a while he started kind of tinkering with his own ideas and playing the piano his grandpa taught him how to uh, play chords on the piano and how to switch from major to minor keys and things like that but he really never took any sort of music composing lessons or classes until his senior year of high school um, when he took a a music theory class Uh, and that's where he really started kind of learning the the nuances of composing and now what types of things is he working on so he is actually a Music minor, so he's been taking a lot of different classes. One of the things that he's been working on recently is for a class where he is given a silent film clip and he has to compose music that kind of elicits the emotion that's being felt on the screen. Uh, so he's just kind of started getting into that this semester and he really enjoys it. It's something that he didn't really do before, um, but he's you know, it's something new for him. But essentially, Music for him kind of takes a backseat to baseball in terms of it's his priority here at GW, but he tries to play as much as he can during the week.
0: He has a goal of about an hour a day, um, just kind of whenever he can. Even though this is a hobby just for now, does he see this taking off in the future, maybe possible career paths? Mm -hmm. He's been thinking about it. He told me that he wants to
6: go into a more stable field first before he tries to pursue writing for uh films and stuff like that but it's definitely something he's considered but not not too
0: seriously I don't think at this point where is his inspiration coming from for composing
6: so he actually told me there's three different ways that he kind of compose uh comes up with ideas to write music or write songs the first one is he'll be listening to a song on the radio and he says that the artist will either do something he likes or he doesn't like and he'll kind of you know pick up on that and kind of play what he thinks the music should have sounded like uh, and he said that he can do that just hearing like a three second snippet of a song and he'll go and he'll just like write out how he thought the song should have gone um, and where he would have taken it. He said though that most of the time he'll just be like whistling and it'll take him a minute to realize that like it's a melody he's never heard before so he'll record it on his phone and then get back to the piano write a few chords and kind of piece it together there and then the third way was through his classes and writing for videos. Where can we
0: listen to his music?
6: So he said that we can listen to his music on YouTube, Apple Music, SoundCloud, things like that. But uh, he has them on a lot of platforms. So his first album, he said, is just kind of a compilation of the songs that he first started to write. And so the second one is Tales of Adventure, which he actually got the title from his nine-year-old cousin who said that when he was listening to the the pieces, he could kind of imagine himself in an adventure. So that's where he kind of got that um, inspiration from for the title
0: of that album. What do his teammates have to say about this hidden talent?
6: So it's kind of a funny story because when Coach Richie played his music over the loudspeakers at the field, apparently it was actually the first time most of his teammates were hearing his songs for the first time. Um, He said that they knew that he played the piano, but he didn't think he didn't know to what extent that they knew. So he said it was like pretty fun. It made for good banter at practice.
0: Thanks for coming on, Barbara, and sharing with us this baseball player's musical talent. Yeah, not a problem. It's been a pleasure. That's all for this week. Thanks for joining us on Getting to the Bottom of It. Getting to the Bottom of It is hosted by news editors Meredith Roten and Leah Potter and features culture editors Liz Preventure and Matt Dines. This podcast is produced by assistant video editor Ariana Dunham, managing editor Tyler Loveless, and assistant copy editor Emma Tyrell. Music is produced by Olk Studios. Special thanks to Andrew Goudsworth and Barbara Alberts for joining us. See you next week.